Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Friday. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing great. Had a great week, and uh, it's been a good good uh, set of shows this week. So, We've been keeping it real, and, and we're going to finally deliver on a promise here. Because Well, there's a couple of promises, actually. One promise was that we were going to talk in a little more depth about Blade Runner 2049, and the other promise was last week that we would do an all-geek-out show. So yeah, here it is. We completely failed to get in any kind of geek-out at the end of last week, right? So um, we just ran You know, it just with, with that level of guests and with that level of material to talk about, we just couldn't squeeze it in. You know, it was uh, – it, it would have been fun, but – we, we just we had to push on with the uh, with the serious questions right to the end. So that opened up an opportunity. We said, okay, well we've got a geek deficit, and you know we're like the Lannisters in uh, Game of Thrones. We always pay our debts. If there's uh, if there's a geek debt owed, we pay it. Okay. And so here's an all geek out show. Nothing but geekiness as far as the eye can see. On, here this on, evening. Uh, you know with that with that reference, Phil. So that was pretty good. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you start start early. That's what I always say. So if you're looking for serious policy discussions, if you're looking for grave, uh, well thought out uh, scientific analysis, we're not doing that tonight. So you can you can move uh, consult on. Consult our archives. <laughs> please consult our archives. We got plenty of shows. We've 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 done it lots of times. But tonight we're going to talk about Blade Runner 2049, and we'll probably touch on some other movies as well. And let me just give the spoiler alert. Right up front, right. we're going to give spoilers. So yeah, we're not even going to try not to spoil it. Although an argument could be made, Phil, that uh, you can't spoil a great movie, um, and I think you know, I think this one's a great movie. Well, you can give away plot details that people wanted yeah. to have revealed naturally, but yeah, I agree, you can't really spoil the movie. You can just you can ruin the surprise on certain things. Right. Uh, you can also make the case that you can't spoil anything written by Philip K. Dick. Because all you can do is say superficially what's going on, and who knows what's really happening, right? <laughs> right. We, you know, 30 <laughs> years on, we still don't know if Deckard is a replicant or not, 100%, do we? Exactly. Well, in fact, let's, let's jump to that. Did this movie settle that question? It did not. It, no, it did not. <laughs> it, it absolutely did not. And I'm glad now, it didn't. Now, uh, you know, it is revealed, and again, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to talk... We're going to talk details. Go see the movie and then come back and listen to the show. Because That's right, because we're not, we're not, we're not alerting back. anymore. You've had your we're warning, okay? Three, two, one. <laughs> he's not actually a son. You think he's a son and he's not. There. That's, uh. <laughs> well, actually, what I was going to talk about was the fact that Deckard and, uh, you know, his great love from the first movie, and I'm having a mental block, um, she, they had a child together, okay? And Yes. Uh, and That's so, a big. That is a big reveal. Yeah, and so so the question is: Is it two replicants having a child, or is it a replicant and a human having a child? They never settled that. So, um, yeah. What's your thought? Rachel, do you do you think that? Uh, I, two minutes a second. Rachel is her name. 
Rachel, yes. Sean Young. Yes. Rachel. Um, do, do you think Deckard's a replicant? I do. I do. And um, I'm, I don't have an opinion because it hasn't been settled, but I hope he's not because I think it, it really makes the first movie, a lot of what happens in the first movie, a huge waste of time, right? Just, a, just an exercise in being messed with. And I, I was I was <laughs> I was watching this uh, uh, the red letter media guys they they do it's not their main show their main show is called Half in the Bag they do another one I can't think of what it's called but anyway they were talking about Blade Runner and they, they, they have this little this younger guy from Canada I guess he's just the biggest Blade Runner fan ever and he knew everything about about Blade Runner and he was talking about how various director's cuts of Blade Runner came to be made. And, you know, there's the famous unicorn scene in, I guess it's the 19, uh, 2007 director's cut. I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't even keep straight which one it's in, where this unicorn shows up in a kind of a dream sequence. And everybody's like, oh, and then the unicorn, and he knew his memories, and therefore, right, this, this whole thing? Right, well, right. It, that, that, and it, that's the, the argument for why Deckard must be a replicant, is that he he dreams of a unicorn and then yes. and then the guy the origami guy right um, he sh- you know it, uh, puts a uh, a unicorn at his doorstep basically you know obviously having known what his memories were right or and uh, so that making that's know. the argument now the 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 fact is that um, I'm now I'm blanking what's the director's name. Uh, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott, yeah. He actually took a piece of footage from one of his other movies. This unicorn scene was something that was filmed for one of his other movies and stuck it in there. And it's a very George Lucas-like move, okay, where he's decided after the fact that Deckard was a replicant, kind of like deciding after the fact that uh, that Darth Vader was Luke's father or you know, some of these other uh, retcons that, that, that George Lucas put in place. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not something that, is necessary for Blade Runner to be good. That's for sure, um, but it it throws I the. It the thro- I love the you know the wonderfully grumpy uh, Harrison Ford was asked in an interview. Do you know whether Deckard is a replicant or not? And he said yes. He says, "Well, tell us." And he goes, "No." <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I if I ever settle it, uh, you know, uh, it, people will stop talking about it. You know, right, right. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense in the in the context of the original movie as as an experience because Rachel Sean Young was supposedly the latest and greatest model, but Deckard would have been an earlier model and yet somehow much more advanced than she was. Right. So just on the face of it, that part of it doesn't make any sense. And what were they doing with him? Why you know? why was he a replicant and they didn't tell him? Although that's got a real paranoid Philip K. Dick feel to it. So that kind of works. And it's also possible. I always assumed, uh, you know, that he was a replicant of a previous human Blade Runner that had died, Uh, you know, and then they they needed needed, uh, the Deckard back, and so they replicated him, uh, complete with memories. And uh, that's what they got. And and like I mean, it, it might have been that that first scene you see Deckard, you know, on the on the street with a newspaper, you know, 
uh, he had just been dropped off there, you know, and that was his that was his first moment in life, and he didn't know it. He had memories of, you know, a much a bigger life before that, but uh, his his life didn't didn't start before that. That's moment. a great theory, but is that supported by anything other than no. the unicorn? No, no that's just that's a, a clever fan theory. I like and it. it hardly, and, and you're right that it doesn't really matter for the movie. The movie yeah. is really more about Rachel coming to grips with the fact that she's a uh, replicant and and Deckard falling in love with her, knowing that she's got a very limited lifespan. Right, right. And, and the the fact that he's a human who kills replicants and she's a replicant yeah is all the complexity you need <laughs> right you, you, you know it's that romeo and juliet that, right that you don't need to suddenly it's romeo and juliet oh but it turns out romeo's actually a capulet or you know it's just, it's too much it's like, well and, and that in the amazing uh scene uh final confrontation between uh deckard and the last replicant that he was going to retire right the right uh, yeah although it adds an intriguing thing there he didn't kill him because he valued all life, or maybe he didn't kill him because he saw that he was a replicant and didn't want to kill another replicant. So it, it, it is interesting how that kind of adds a dimension yeah. to the story. But in the long run, I hope he's not. I, I think it's better if, if Deckard's not a replicant, because I like the idea that there was a human and a, and a replicant that had a relationship, and that, they, and that not Kay, but the lady with the thick Spanish accent, whose name I don't know, the woman who plants dreams, is their child, right? That, that this is the offspring of a human and a replicant, or two replicants, right? And so in the it, initial scene of uh, Blade Runner 2045, 2049, excuse me, so Kay shows up. He's the new Blade Runner, yep. played, by, played by Ryan Gosling, and uh, he's flying a spinner out to this, uh, you know, out away from Los Angeles into the boondocks, it would appear. And this is a completely denatured California. Oh yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's things are much worse off than they were um, in the original Blade Runner. I mean, the the Earth is basically dying, and uh, um, and so in order to eat, people are you know having to depend on uh, farming of algae and uh, and and that that apparently is what this replicant that he goes after is was doing. Right. Which you know is. It's bizarre to me that uh, okay, you got you got somebody that's out there, you know, being a farmer, feeding people, and doing nothing else, but still in this world, there is a, the need to kill these replicants that are for whatever reason have are off the reservation, right? That and uh, uh, and so they you know they they send somebody like Kay around to uh, to kill them. And uh, I mean, I, I, it's it's just it's a it was sort of a brutal thing, wasn't it? It's, uh, well, it, uh, the whole the whole setup for the story it, it leads me to this question: Does this story even make any sense at all? Right? Does this setup make any sense? No one's going to argue that it's visually a stunning movie, and somehow they've managed to match or surpass the original Blade Runner with this movie, which is. An amazing feat, I, I must say, because it, it wasn't just a rehash, and it isn't just like a cheesy CGI version of what Douglas Trumbull did in the original. I mean, it's just a really gorgeous, beautiful, blow-your-socks-off kind of a movie. It's amazing. But going, really going back to the original Blade Runner, <laughs> does this make any sense at all, this storyline? What are these replicants, right? Is it ever really explained? Are they human clones, 
are they completely artificial beings created in a lab that somehow look like? I mean, it seems like the the biological difference would be really easy to spot if they're if they're anything other than 100% human DNA. And if and if they are 100% human DNA, then why aren't you just considering them human? (laughs) Yeah, why aren't they people? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In in what sense are they replicants? In what sense are they are they not people? And it's like I think in the original short story, they're they're different enough. And in a, in a short story, you can gloss around all that kind of stuff. That that's not where well, the original Dick short wanted story, to go. Uh, do do androids dream of electric sheep? Okay. Yeah. And uh, it was it's obvious that the androids are robots. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so it's a very different story than what we got with uh, with Blade Runner. And by the way, the the title Blade Runner is is something that was just sitting on the shelf somewhere. Uh, apparently there was a script at one point, uh, Blade Runner. It was about these guys running around with swords or something uh, uh. <laughs> in modern times. And somebody just liked the sound of it. Hey, that's something yeah. cool. Uh, we'll use, uh, instead of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, why don't we just use that title? Because Blade Runner sounds so much cooler. And, oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, which is true. So if you're wondering well, where are the blades in Blade Runner, uh, well, it's just just a kind of a purloined title that uh, sounds cool that, that we got. But anyway. But it um, does fit well with what those people do. It's a good yeah. poetic name for, for it, robot assassin, right? Re- I, replicant assassin. Retiring yeah. these things. Well, yeah, yeah these, these things now in, in Blade Runner, it's obviously they're, they're biological. Right? Yeah. I think that they're set apart entirely as sort of a, almost a, by way of a religious belief. I think, yeah. uh, you know, in 2049, Kay's boss, who's played by... Um, Robin Penwright. Robin Penwright. Okay, thank you. She just, just just outright says it at one point. Uh, well, you know, you just don't have a soul, okay? That's, that's your difference. And, you know, you were not born. You're not physically born into this world the way humans are. Um, and, and you do not have a soul. And it, it just comes down to more of a religious belief than it is based on any kind of objective differences, I think. And that's, to me, it's another part of this, the weird sadness of this world is that you've got, you've got entities running around that are as, as human as you or I that are not accepted as human. Right. And they're, 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 their lives are cheap. And, they, you know, you can exploit them for whatever you want. Right, fully expendable. These. Yeah, fully expendable, fully exploitable. There was a short that showed uh, the, the main baddie in 2049, played by Jared Leto. He, he's confronting the, these other people, and he just orders one of his uh, replicants to kill themselves. Right. And, uh, the replicant, you know, kind of startled and hesitates for just, just momentarily and then slits on throat. And actually, the way uh, Jared Leto's character uh, told that replicant that is said, you have a knife, your choice is this, my life or yours. Right. You can slit my throat or slit your own throat. And the replicant slit his own throat and died. That sort of sadness is at the heart of, of what, this, this, uh, what Blade Runner is trying to tell us about the future and how, you know, a future that we definitely want to avoid. And... Not, not only do we not want to kill our planet, we don't want to kill our, kill our own souls by having fully capable people around that aren't people, that we don't accept as people, and, 
and therefore are fully expendable. That is a sad possible future that we want to avoid at all costs. And, uh, yeah, I, although I'm, I question whether we would get there. It's really hard for me to imagine that we would ever take that big of a step back around who's human. If, if anything, we seem to be going more in the other direction. We, 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 we seem are... to. We, we, for example, I mean, we don't even want to be rude to chatbots, do we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, we, we tend to go out of our way not to, not to be jerks, even to things we know to be machines, 100%. And don't, we know intellectually there's no subjective life for, uh, for uh, Ramona the chatbot. But, uh, you know, I, for the life of me, I'm not going to be rude to her, right? So, right. Exactly, uh, but let's go back. Let's go back just for a moment to the Jared Leto character, ne- Neander Wallace. I see his name was. By the way, Robin Wright just goes by Robin Wright these days. Okay. She dropped the pen some years ago, so we gotta, okay. you know, Sorry about we're, we're way behind on our, yeah, we're uh, behind. you know, Robin Wright. Okay. M- movie names, Robin Wright. Anyway, uh, so what is what does he want exactly? What's he trying to do? Is he actually he he's hoping to raise up an army of replicants to replace humanity. So why is he trying to kill them all, right? It's, it, this character, even within the confines of the movie, his actions seem to be completely contradictory well, between the things he psychotic. does and the things he part says. And, and it could be that he's just crazy, I suppose. But Yeah, he's psychotic. That's part of it. But I think his ultimate goal is to... He, he wants to find out about Rachel and Deckard and how they had a child... He wants self-replicating replicants. Is what right. The line in the movie is, we need these slaves or whatever. Uh, he doesn't say it this way, but he, we need these replicants. And I, but I just can't make enough of them. Now, Robin Wright's character, she's representative of the opposite thought that we, it will break the world for it to be found out that replicants can uh, have children. Right. That. That thought alone will break the world. And, and why is that? Well, I, again, I think it goes back to this pseudo-religious belief that birth is what gives you a soul, right? Right. And if, if replicants are having children, then, are, you know, uh, all of a sudden, then, you know, this, this soul-no-soul divide is broken, I think. Right. Or you could just say, oh, we were wrong. They were people, so we oh, should stop well, killing them. You know, I, that, uh, I guess yeah, that, that thought never occurred to yeah. her. <laughs> you know, wait, there's another way of looking at this. Yeah. We were just wrong about these people, who are people, by the way. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I think once you get that deeply entrenched into an ideological position, it doesn't occur to you to back out of it that way, right? It's like, right. well, I, I, I can't have been wrong. I can't have been ordering murder of human beings all this time. Right. Therefore, they can't be human. Therefore, this whole thing yeah, has to be covered up. Let's just say she's heavily invested in the idea that these are not people. <laughs> so she, Although, ironically, that, uh, treats K like a person. She would be admitting to being a, a murderess if, uh, if, or, or a murderer if, she's, uh, <laughs> if she were to ever... Uh, in, in the abstract, yes. Yeah. But in, in the point-to-point relationship with K, she makes a sacrifice for him. She treats him like he's a human being. Right? So it's there's interesting contradictions all the way around, which is part of what makes it such an interesting movie, I think, uh, that... Uh, there's, there's, and she's kind of the good guy there in the end. Although she has ideologically a horrible position, she does good things. And so it's, it's kind of hard to get your head around rooting interest and in some of those kinds of things. And that creates a situation where the last, I don't know, 15 minutes of the movie, 
I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen. I really could not predict. You know, I... um, because the, the, the secret in, in, the, in the movie, you know, whether or not Kay is Deckard's son, for a while there I thought they were going to go with the easy answer. That, of course, yeah, yeah, he is, you know. And, right. You know, um, and... Well, I just thought it was revealed that he was. I thought we were pretty much told that. It, it was like, it was established, and then it's kind of, the rug gets pulled out from Randy, and it, that totally worked for me, because I never saw that, uh, I never that saw flip coming. coming at all, yeah. Yeah, and not, not for an instant did I see it coming, that he, you know, that it was, that it was someone else. And he uh, ends up sacrificing his life at the end you know, to reunite Deckard with, with his child, right? And he, Deckard asks him, asks him, are you going to be okay? And his answer to Deckard is yes. I will be. Deckard, of course, is asking, you know, are you, are you about to bleed out here on the sidewalk? Right. Of course, yes, the answer is that is yes, but are you going to be okay? I think what, what he was saying was that, you know, you know, I have proven to myself that, I, that I'm a worthwhile person, that I'm, I'm not just a soulless automaton, automaton or whatever. He's just, he's a, uh, I think he had proven something to himself, and he, he had doubts about that, I think. I think he, he... There is a subplot in this movie that, of course, is just almost lifted straight from her. I, I wanted to watch the credits and see if they, they at least tipped their hat to her because it very much was the her plot mm-hmm. with with his girlfriend that he would go Kay would go home to, and it was it was it was a hologram of a beautiful girl, right? That uh, manufactured for the entire purpose of making you feel like you're not alone, right? When you go home to an empty house and yeah, it's it's interesting that that this this person who supposedly it shouldn't matter to them that they that you know that they live a bleak life, right? Cause, right. You know, you're soulless, right? And he, in some ways, it seemed like he had accepted that, felt the need to have someone to connect to, and and he did. And I, I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Well, it goes just to the whole theme of what is real, yeah. and you've got these two. Really interesting characters, one of which is apparently a human living in a world where his type of human isn't regarded as human, and the other one is an artificial intelligence whose sentience we just we don't know. We don't know if there's anybody there or not. We can assume probably not based on the fact that it's a mass-produced product, but on the other hand, as you've pointed out, in this world, life is cheap, so maybe conscious beings are cheap too maybe as in the movie her this this is a, a a truly conscious entity with her own drives and desires and she certainly acts like she has them right oh yeah She's, I, I was convinced by several of her actions including the, the request to be downloaded so she could go with him and yeah her last action when you know she's reaching out to him when she knows she's about to die right and I, I, it just made me feel like there was something real there uh, in her. And uh, I, I read one review that said that basically said of the, that relationship that there was, okay, had a loveless relationship. I didn't get that at all. Not for one second did I get the idea that there wasn't real feelings between those two. <laughs> well, yeah, they loved each other very much, it seemed to me. It was a pretty, uh, you know, for all their problems, a pretty functional couple, actually. Um, you know, they kind of looking out for each other, taking care of each other, and really seemed to care for each other. And he was devastated when she died. It right. was, 
yeah, a really a really horrible thing that happened, and it really did feel like someone had died there. It's impressive how well all those threads are brought together in this movie. I, I, I really have to say I was just impressed throughout by this movie. I, the look of it, the complexity of it. I, I found the ending not nearly as sad as you did. I, to me, it was it was quite life affirming. You know that. Uh, well, I, the I thought it was. I, I thought it was life affirming too, but brutally delivered. Well, yeah. I mean, it, that, that, by, by the way, you know, not not everyone's in agreement. The case dead at the end, so they, they they can they can back out if they want to. Although I've read the screenwriter seems to think he was dead, so that's not that that's not good news for the K is still alive crowd. Um, but assuming he's dead, he chose to do things. He yeah. acted outside of his whatever it was programming, proved he was a real human, and did a decent, caring thing for other people. I don't know. It's it's not the ending you expect for this kind of movie, is it? No, it is not. I was looking. I mean, w- let me tell you, when they're when they're having that fight, when he's in the fight to the death, with the tide crashing in, who do you want to win in that fight? Because you don't know what Kay's going to do next. I'm like, is he going to kill her so he can make sure that he can kill <laughs> Deckard? You don't know, right? Or is oh wait, is he taking her? Is he taking Deckard to see her so he can kill them both? You don't know until it ends. Exactly what's because it's not like Ryan Gosling's giving anything away in his face, right? right. And, <laughs> no, he's really not. And, and and you just don't know what's going on inside these characters, which I guess ultimately, Stephen, it's the old hard problem of consciousness. The, yeah. the the question of what's real and who's real, it always ends outside of your own head, right? You, you can you can look at the rest of the world around you, and maybe that's what this is really about. Well, Effectively, everybody else in the, the world author, is a replicant. Hey, Dick, I think. This is a sequel to a movie that was very different from his original short story. So this is far removed from the actual works of Philip K. Dick, right? But very much in the spirit, yes. But so much in the spirit. I think that it would be a favorite movie of Philip K. Dick if he were around to enjoy it. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but in this book of essays I was reading by him, one of the things he mentions is he read the Blade Runner screenplay shortly before he died. Yeah, he had an opportunity to actually visit the set, too. Yeah, and he loved it. He thought it was, he thought it was awesome. He said, "Well, it's got nothing to do with my story, but it's great. It's a great title. It's a really exciting story." And uh, I think, I think he he liked that kind of that kind of thing a lot. And yeah, this is the kind of story he would have loved. I mean, you've got two separate instances where a character cries out in agony, just in despair. I know what's real, and you know they don't, right? It's like they they don't know for sure because we don't know because nobody knows, right? <laughs> Absolutely for sure. I wonder if Deckard even knows yeah, if he's a replicant. This right? has That's a basis a... in the author, the original author, Philip K. Dick, suffered from schizophrenia. Right. Pretty much all of his works were an exploration of what is real and what is not, because in his mind it was fuzzy. And, you know, you got things... It, like was, the, it was the issue he was constantly dealing with. It was right, the issue right. that that was always a, that the forefront was, of his mind. That was blurred for him in ways that it's not for people who don't suffer from that problem. And so, you know, you get stories like Total Recall, where you don't know whether the good guy has, has uh, you know, terraformed Mars and saved the girl at the end, or if it's all in his mind. And, you, know, you do know you're watching one of the cheesiest movies ever made, right? <laughs> you, you, you want to talk about a movie that does not hold up. Compare those two movies, right? The original Blade Runner and Total Recall. <laughs> just, the, just the schlock violent action scenes and the you know the one-liner quips the the you know the the curse the curse of the 80s movies right the one-liner quips before somebody blows somebody's out oh it's like, I just you just your eyes can't roll hard enough 
I think. You know, you can't groan loud enough watching that movie. But it's interesting. They both come from, from Philip K. Dick source material. It's kind of <laughs> kind of funny to think about. Well, I wonder, though. Minority Report and... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, well, so, so many things. I mean, The Man in the High Castle, the series running on Amazon, and they're getting ready to premiere a series of... an anthology series based on his short stories. Yeah. So I'm hoping some of those kind of follow his short stories because some of those are really good, tight little weird stories. I'm hoping that they the, they actually follow the stories in, in some instances because most of his ideas from his books never actually make it to the screen. It would be interesting to see some of that stuff really on TV. Well, you know, we're probably going to run out of time, but one other thing I wanted to note is I think we're, we've entered the age of the gorgeous dystopias, right? right? I think one of the most dystopian worlds you'll ever see, Blade Runner, but I can't remember seeing a more beautiful movie. The only one I can think of is uh, Avatar, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, on, it's at that level. You've created right. a world at that level of detail and that level of visual just take your breath away. But I don't want to live in this one for a minute, right? So in some ways, it's a much more powerful kind of accomplishment to make such a, such a convincing world, such a beautiful world, out of some place so, so horrendous. And the other movie, I'm, I'm actually not through it. I've just started watching it the other day. Have you seen War for the Planet of the Apes? Yes, I have. Okay, so once again, these, this is a gorgeously shot movie. I mean, it's just beautiful. You look at it and you go, I, I admire this filmmaking so much, and I'm, I'm so impressed by what they do with the makeup. Or, and I'm sorry, not the makeup. I assume it's the CGI and the, the rotoscanning and everything else they're doing to make these, make these creatures real. But Motion capture is a lot of it. All of that, yeah. You know, the, the idea that in the 70s we had – really fun dystopias because they were cheesy and it was just fun. You know, the, the original Planet of the Apes trilogy, great fun. They're laugh out loud funny now, but just just cheesy and, and funny. You don't really take them seriously. Omega Man, right? All the great Charlton Heston dystopias, you know, just just a lot of fun to watch. Toilet Green. <laughs> Toilet Green, exactly. Yeah. Here we're seeing something really interesting where the big commercial movies have a kind of I don't know, almost superficiality to them, that speaking as a person who's got a very optimistic view of the future, I should be just totally turned off by this, these dystopian movies. But it, it, in some ways, it feels like they're getting closer to the human heart, right? That, uh, you know, they're, they're a little more, I don't know, dealing with real human issues than some of the other big special effects movies, to, to the point where I think I, I'm... I'm getting okay with dystopias, Stephen. Maybe I'm just getting old. Well, it, it might be part of your 80-20 uh, viewpoint. I mean, this, the, dystopians, uh, the dystopias are the 20% of dealing with the, with the hard problems, right? Of, and here's, here's the, here are scenarios we want to avoid. Yes, <laughs> although I don't think we're in any danger of either of those worlds, Planet of the Apes or Blade Runner, coming true. You know what I mean? Those don't represent particularly realistic uh, future scenarios but the but the conflict in them feels real and the the, the drama feels real and there's just there's a lot of fun touches in uh, in war for the planet of the apes we'll have to spend some more time on that one eventually but hey you know what before we run completely or go completely long uh did you make a double feature with uh, thor ragnarok and let, let's just palate cleanse by touching on that one real quick well that was a fun movie i, I very much enjoyed thor ragnarok it was it was very good um I, you know the the uh the critics uh, loved this movie, which I found uh, which I found kind of interesting. 
to me, is probably an entry that I would have expected the critics to just lambast. Because in, in some ways, there's just lots of comedic moments thrown in that I don't know if I'm completely on board with, uh, with a Thor movie being a complete comedy, as this mm-hmm. one seemed determined to be, right? Yeah. But, you know, the critics made it up. And audiences seem to uh, have, you know, just really taken to it. In my family, I, I, I took our, my entire family, and myself and, uh, and, and one son, Thomas, were, were just a little bit turned off by the constant jokiness in it. Uh-huh, yeah. This is Norwegian Armageddon, okay? Right, exactly, yeah. Ragnarok. Ragnarok, it's the end of the world, yeah. The the it's world. Armageddon, it's the yeah. Norse Armageddon, yeah. Uh, and... And so you're going to have a film. Can you imagine a film called Tony Stark Armageddon that's just a, a laugh out loud from beginning to end story? No. You know, you go in expecting something a little more serious, and what you get is uh, is very much a comedy in the, uh, the, the you know, very much like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. It's a comedy in that way. But I, I preferred Guardians of the Galaxy to this. And, and that said, I loved the Hulk in this movie. I thought it was great. Banner has been the Hulk for about three years straight, no, no turning back, into, you know, back into uh, Bruce Banner. He's just been the Hulk. And the, so the Hulk's a little more sophisticated now. He can talk. He can carry on a, like a regular conversation. It's interesting. It's an interesting way to go with that character, and uh, I kind of liked it. So there's that. And uh, they introduced an, um, a, a female superhero, uh, Valkyrie. She was awesome. I enjoyed her. And, of course, the big bad, man, Kate Blanchett delivered. So she's great, too. Sounds, so sounds like I'm talking myself into really liking it again. I'd give this one a solid B. It's okay. Not, it's not my favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. That, that title is still held by uh, Winter Soldier. But uh, I, thought it was, I thought it was solid. Uh, there's, there's only a couple movies in the series that I really dislike, and this is not one of them. It's, and it is my favorite Thor movie. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm waiting for a favorite Thor movie, so this could be it, because yeah. I, I oh, feel like... The, seen it. Okay, I thought that we were... I, I'm glad I didn't go out and... You know, I'm glad I didn't well, you've already out. told me that uh, the Hulk has been the Hulk for three years, so you're just spoiling things all over the... You just can't help yourself, Stephen. <laughs> you just, okay, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought that you knew that. My dad used to do that all the time, too. You just okay. can't help yourself. It's just... <laughs> Well, it's, just how some guys are. No, you'll, no you'll, like it. you'll like it. Uh, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it because, I, uh, you know, I, I feel like the first Thor movie was good but had some weaknesses. The second Thor movie was way off as far as I was concerned. Was so I've been looking forward to this one. I think, was, you know. Really Although I, I believe if we go back to my original idea, they have misnamed the Thor movies. And if I could just, once again, it should have been Thor, the first one, right? The second one, more Thor, right? The third one, Thor, the big war. And then finally, Thor four. Don't you think? Wouldn't that have been better? Just... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but they never listen to me on those things. So. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. We've geeked as hard as we can geek. Blade Runner twenty forty nine. We agree. Great, profound movie. Kind of hard to watch in ways. Uh, Thor Ragnarok, uh, solid B. I'll I'll check it out and see if uh, like my grade it. agrees. Uh, looks like it sounded like you liked uh, War for the Planet of the Apes a lot. I think I'll like it a lot yeah. too by the time I, I get to the that, end. That's an A. That in, that trilogy is one of my favorite uh, sci-fi trilogies now. The uh, the new the new uh, Apes trilogy is is great. I'll tell you what we'll do one of these days. Next time we do a full half hour geek out, let's do a just all Apes. Right? Oh, uh, there's yeah. there, there's a lot to be discussed. Okay. We'll see if we can get PJ on board for that because I know she's a big fan of the original 
movies as well. So that'll be fun. All right. Well, hey, Stephen, uh, great talking with you. It's been a great week. We will be back next week with three brand new shows. We look forward to being with you all then. And until next time, live to see it. 